you know, we kind of fell into that like 50 to a hundred unit range. Um, because we found one it's, it's, you know, at the price point, it's too expensive for most of the small guys. Right. Yeah. And, and then, you know, too small for most of the big guys. And so while there's not no competition, your competition is reduced. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Well, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. I'm with me. I'm excited to have another great guest. We got Nick Amalex. And Nick, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. So Nick, he is a partner in Quantum Capital, uh, assisting in acquisitions and asset management through his 11 years in leadership roles. Nick has found success by solving big problems through relentless hard work and ingenuity. And Quantum is a multifamily uh, acquisition company. Uh, We'll get into more detail with that. He's been active real estate investor in Austin since 2015, oversees Quantum Capital's portfolio in Austin, Texas. While originally from Denver, Nick moved to Austin in 2014. He's got a wife, a couple kids. So Nick, how you doing, man? Good, good. I'm glad to, to be on this. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit more about your background and what your company is doing today? Sure. Yeah. So I started um, actually as a mechanic. I worked for Volkswagen and Audi for about 11 years um, and kind of hit the same wall. I feel like everybody does, Uh, you know, just didn't realize there wasn't much of a future there after a certain point. Uh, At the same time, I had started investing and kind of took the traditional path, right? I started in stocks, um, thought I was going to be, you know, the next Warren Buffett. Um, That'd be great. Yeah, right. Uh, it seems so easy at the time. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Everybody uh, does it. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, luckily or unluckily, however you want to look at it, I invested uh, in the company I was working for, Volkswagen, in 2015, about a month before Dieselgate hit. So if anybody's familiar with that. Um, anyway, so lost a lot. Uh, and then that realized that, you know, I had no control over that asset. Uh, and I didn't want to do that again. Um, Because it wasn't anything that I did wrong, right? All the research I had done, everything I had looked into and, you know, I was working at the company and I felt very strongly about it. And then it was somebody corrupt higher up who just tanked the whole thing, right? Um, Wasn't sure what I was going to do at that point. Um, But I had just bought, you know, my first home and uh, had started listening to a little uh, podcast called Bigger Pockets. And so from there, the, the idea just started sprouting, sprouting that, you know, we should do, we should you know, do real estate. Hmm. Um, and it just kind of, you know, spiraled from there. I, we ended up renting out that house that we had just bought for our family. Uh, and instead, you know, house hacked a duplex at the same time, bought a few more single family stuff, bought a turnkey in Memphis, um, which I'm unable to to sell uh, and still have. <laughs> but uh, it sounds like yeah. you're excited to have it too. Yeah, no, turnkeys are uh, not great. Uh, they're not bad, but they're not great. Anyways, that's a whole yeah. nother discussion, yeah. but, um, you know, I, and then I kind of started hitting the same wall in, in real estate where I realized this is going to take me forever to get to where I want to go. Right. Doing it by yeah. one single family or duplex at the time. And I'm in Austin. So, you know, I wasn't doing anything creative on that end. 
Uh, it was just work until you saved up 25% to 20% for a down payment, put it down, buy another one. Right? And so the snowball was starting, but it was very slow. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the first uh, property I had, I had bought um, appreciated really well. Uh, I got lucky, you know, I, I bought in Austin in 2015, uh, which certainly helps. Um, and I was looking to roll that into something larger. And that's when I kind of got down the path of, of multifamily and then taking it to the next level. And then that really opened my eyes to working with other people. Um, before that, I was very much, a, I'm going to do it all myself kind of guy. Um, and since kind of embracing that concept, you know, we've, I've been able to scale about a, a 12 unit with, with some friends in Atlanta. Um, and then met my partner and we started buying in Austin. We've, you know, we're over 200 units in Austin now. Uh, we're closing on another 72. Um, it's been, it's been good. So let's talk about that, uh, that, you know, you were, you can do everything yourself, right? Yeah. Let's talk about that change from doing everything yourself to then taking partners, take me through kind of that, uh, mindset shift and then the benefits that it's had. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of the, the mindset, um, at least on my end, wasn't that, you know, I don't need partners. It was more, you know, everybody says, Oh, you got to bring value to a transaction. Right. And I'm just this young, you know, mechanic with like two single family houses or, you know, in a duplex. Um, I didn't really think I had any value to offer that. Right. Um, I think the mindset shift was when I started realizing that, you know, I'm, I'm in, it can, you know, in my opinion, one of the best markets in the country and that the value I could bring was finding deals. Um, and that's, you know, when it started making more sense for me to partner up because I, I, I found an area where I could add value. Um, prior to that, uh, I liked the idea of partnerships, but it was more of a, you know, where do I find these people? Uh, and I also wasn't networking at all. Um, I'm just kind of expecting this to, you know, uh, fall into my lap. So I think, <laughs> I think going out there and, and networking and searching for it and then, you know, uh, having a value, you know, having some sort of value proposition. So th- did you, so you started going to, so did you purposely then seek partners? Like, did you say, Hey, that I want to take this to the next level. Like I got to seek some partners. I got to figure out how I can add value. Or did you just meet some people and say, Hey, this could work. No, it was, it was more the the first, the first one. Um, you know, I, I decided after looking outside of my market, um, and then going through the whole process where I was, you know, I'd had to build a team on the ground and, you know, do all this work just so I could buy something, uh, a little bit more in my personal price range without bringing anybody else in. Right. I was like, you know, I'm just yeah. going to stay in Austin. And I knew if I'm going to stay in Austin, uh, where the prices were and where, you know, what I could, what I could buy, I would need a partner, right. I need somebody to help qualify for the loan. I need somebody that, with experience, um, and, and you know, more capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very intentional in that, um, I, I didn't need to, to run the deal at all. I was just looking to learn. And so, you know, I just reached out, uh, you know, I started, I went to all the, you know, local meetups, uh, specifically one centered on multifamily. I ended up starting my own, um, uh, because my work schedule was hard to make it to others. And there wasn't one down South where I worked. So, um, that was good. And then, uh, I, I made it a practice to reach out to people on bigger pockets, um, you know, quite often in the beginning, I, I, I my goal was three people a day, just messaging and, and basically saying, Hey, you know, looking for somebody experienced, 
somebody in the Austin area or near the Austin area uh, who had done this before or, you know, had heard them on, on either the Bigger Pockets podcast or somebody else's podcast and just seeing if there's some way that I could, you know, uh, create some value for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, it's funny. I tell uh, my coaching clients, like, look, if you're looking for something on bigger pockets, if you're looking for investors, if you're looking for partners, whatever, you got to start posting like minimum three times a day. That's, that's the magic number I use three times, three times a day. You got to post, you got to get on the forums, that type of stuff. It's a great resource and it's, it's a good tool. Then, um, and the networking event too. And that's, I like what you said there. You started your own networking event because it was hard to it was really, it was hard to just make the meetings at the times that they were at. So you go, Hey, I'm going to start my own and I'm going to get it to where it works for me. And likely that worked because it worked for other people too. Right. If, if you were having a problem making the meetings, certainly other people were as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, it grew into something that was, um, you know, bigger than I ever thought it would get. And it, you know, it wasn't exactly huge, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good, a good thing to have done. Are you still running that meetup or did you? Uh, we pivoted to online like most people. Yeah. Um, and we have not gone back in person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is the intention to go back to person after this COVID craziness or are you just going to keep it online? No, we'll go back to in person. I feel like you yeah. lose a lot. I like the virtual, you get a lot of information, uh, but you lose a lot of the, you know, the networking aspects of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, I, uh, it seems like you get less attendance and maybe, maybe you have oh, yeah. had the opposite, but it seems like no. you get a lot less attendance. Yeah. Starting out, uh, the attrition rates weren't that high and now there's like 17 webinars a week and I think people are yeah. just burnt out on it. So like, which one do I, do I, well, I attend like same thing with the virtual conferences. We hosted a virtual conference and it went well, like we had a decent amount of people show up and buy tickets and stuff. But I think it was that, uh, which virtual conference should I attend? Like what's the flavor of the, of the week this week? Cause there's so many of them out there and I keep seeing them pop up like left and right. It's like, man, how many virtual conferences can you actually have in one year? But yeah. Okay. People want to do them. So, um, well, let's, so, so that's, that's awesome. So now you've transitioned into, um, some of these midsize or larger multifamily, um, what what's uh, i guess what was the reasoning for the scale that you went you kind of talked a little bit about that but maybe go into more detail what was the reasoning and and how has that worked out for you yeah um a lot of the reasoning was just to get uh, uh to our goals quicker right um yeah. i don't i'm i'm not looking to drive around ferraris or lamborghinis or anything like that but you know no. fan, financial security and, and time freedom are very important to me um and, you know, I'd like to have that time to spend with my family. And so that was the whole purpose behind investing, right? It's, I was in a career that I, I, you know, candidly very, very much loved. It was, it was great. But, you know, you can only work so many hours a week, right? And, and then it takes a toll on your body and all these things, you know, bad things. So this was kind of like my safety hedge. I just ended up enjoying it, my, you know, my side hustle. Um, and as I, as I saw the cash flow coming in, I saw the, you know, uh, and it's in Austin, so it wasn't heavy cash flow. But as I saw the the appreciation and the uh, the equity growth, um, I realized that you know this is a pretty powerful vehicle, um, and if we went kind of all in, it could help us get there a lot faster. So that was the main impetus between behind uh, scaling. Yeah, cool, cool. 
Let's talk about your, your leadership role. You said you had a leadership role um, in your, your W-2 and how that's really helped you be successful here. Talk a little bit about that. Like what are maybe, what are some really key takes that you can give to our listeners on proper leadership and how that, how they can, you know, learn from you and, uh, you know, put that in their business as well. Sure. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing I, I took away from uh, being in a leader, you know, in leadership roles, team leads, shop foreman, things like that, um, is really just how you treat the, the people that work for you um, and creating a, a, an environment where, uh, I mean, where people, you know, kind of know what to expect um, from you. I, I've worked with a lot of emotional owners. Um, and I didn't want to be that kind of boss because, you know, that, that doesn't create any sense of stability. Um, and so that was one thing I kind of craved um, moving forward. And also I like working with people I like, and, <laughs> and that's hard to do um, in, in middle management, right? You don't have a lot of control. Um, mm-hmm. And so one of the lessons I took forward is, you know, at, at least in this business, I have that luxury where I can, you know, work with people I like, uh, vendors I like, investors I like, partners I like. Uh, where you get along and it just makes the whole process a lot easier. Um, I don't know how well you can do that uh, in, you know, on the business level, but um, in, in different industries, but you know, that's been a game changer for me, at least for stress wise for everybody. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I like that. I mean, creating that environment of stability is, uh, is a very valuable, obviously if you have employees and they, they, don't know what to expect day to day. It's going to be hard for them to want to show up. Yeah. It's hard for people to give their best when they're constantly afraid, you know, of how you're going to react or what you're going to do. Um, or if they have a job the next day, even though they've done everything that you've, you know, you've asked them to do. I've you know worked in a lot of places like that and, um, you know, just didn't want to roll that ball forward. Yep. Yep. And, and, it, and that goes with, um, Look, that goes with your team in real estate. That goes with any of your partners, uh, investors. I mean, creating that environment of stability and expectations, and it's going to create a lot more success. And if you can kind of let that be a trend through the business, I think everybody's going to be a lot happier in all. I mean, when you have a business partner and you don't, you don't know what's going to happen day to day. You don't, maybe you don't know where they're at. Maybe you don't know what they're doing to help grow the business. Who knows what it is. Um, that just creates stress for everybody and not a win situation. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, I think the only other big thing and you kind of touched on it was right there was having, you know, clear and actionable goals. Um, I'm a big numbers guy and I, I like having, KPIs that, you know, are all reflective of efforts, right? Uh, I, I hate, I don't hate, I think it's a good ideal when people are like, oh, I got to close, you know, this many units this year or something or, you know, whatever. Um, I prefer to focus on, you know, deals analyzed, brokers talk to, things offered on, all things that, you know, I have control over um, versus, you know, and I did this when I was a technician as well or in the team lead, it was, you know, focus on the things you have. How many hours are you turning? How long does the job take? You know, because those are, are the steps that'll take you to that ideal, right? That lofty goal is, is have actionable 
actionable weekly goals. Well, and if you're focusing too much on, hey, I want to get, you know, 500 units, 200 units or whatever it is, if you're focusing so much on that, are you really purchasing the right properties? Are you really buying in a market or in a timing or, you know, the property type that you should be buying in? You know, I think that's the biggest question I get with people that are, I see companies right now. I see, I see people I know right now and they're, they're so goal driven by getting X amount of dollars in real estate or X amount of units. And it's like, I look at some of the properties you're buying and I go, okay, but would you, would you, should you buy that thing? Like I wouldn't touch it. Yeah. Why are you, why are you doing it? Well, it's to get to your goal. That's it. Yeah. Um, so I like that on like, we're going to underwrite a certain amount of deals. We're going to talk to a certain amount of brokers. And if we do those things and we get, you know, 200 units, awesome. That's great. But if we did those things and we don't find the right 200 units, you know, we're, we're going to be happy with what we did throughout the year. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I like that. And I think that just sets you up for a lot better success in the long run, maybe not short run, right. But in the long run, it's continued success that's going to allow you to sustain and be in a better place. So um, what's a, what's a mistake that you've made and how have you learned from it? Um, yeah, I, I, I'll just pick one out of the many. Um, underestimating payroll, I would say, on uh, acquisitions, especially when you're scaling up into, into multifamily or you get into the larger stuff. Um, you know, that was something we learned pretty early on and had, you know, have adjusted quite well to that, uh, taxes. That's a big one too. I'm a big harper on taxes now, but really knowing where the County reassesses, um, most of the, you know, it's huge. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's significant. Even if you feel like you're properly accounting for it, um, I'd always caution you to just, you know, triple check those, um, well, and if it's, you know, a broker's trying to give you information, I mean, you can't really trust what somebody else is trying to give you. A, they're trying to sell the property. Um, B, they, they, you know, they don't necessarily do their homework. Um, yeah. And so they might be, they're probably taking the current, you know, the current year and just adding a percent or two and that's it. That's not necessarily how things work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've, you know, I've found, uh, now, you know, we have, we have good, good partners now. Um, and you know, the property tax protest game out here in Texas. So we just contact them before any acquisition now and just make sure that, you know, we're all going, looking at the same thing. Um, and and, I mean, that was, you know, I I mean, that's not like a big mistake, but uh, it can be, I think it's, I caution people about that a lot. Really, it sounds like mainly the mistake is just not enough diligence in your underwriting early on. Um, you know, not not looking at the property taxes, not thinking about some of the expenses, and missing some of those finer details. Yeah, I think you know when you when you're underwriting, um, it's easy to go you know one way or the other, right? You can either be ultra conservative or um, are very aggressive, you know, on, on the other end. Um, I think it's, it's finding a good balance between the two. And a lot of that just comes from actually operating, right? Once you're in the trenches, a lot of your assumptions fly out the window and you know better the next time. Yep. Um, so yep. I guess, you know, 
that's maybe not a mistake. It's just part of the learning process, but you know, always be learning and then, and then adapting. Is there, is there a specific, like anything specific that somebody could go, Hey, I don't, that I see that. Um, I get that you have to learn as you go, but I don't want to make any of those <laughs> mistakes. I want to be perfect the, the first time. Is there anything that people can do that you uh, looking back would go, yeah, that, that would probably help. Oh yeah. Um, I think the biggest one is just really vet your management companies. If you're doing third-party management, you know, we, we interviewed tons, we had, you know, all of our checklists for conversations and, and still, you know, wound up, um, uh, with a, uh, with a great company and a really, you know, uh, unfortunate, uh, regional situation and, and you know, on-site management that made, uh, the first couple of months, uh, really uncomfortable and really rocky, right? And so you can do all your diligence, but I think really vetting the the on-site and local team, um, you know, take it a step further if you're working with big companies. If you're working with local companies, you know, secret shop the properties that they currently manage. Yeah. Um, you know, really do your homework. And, I, and when I say secret shop, I don't mean go on apartments.com and look at the listings and see how yeah. they are. I mean, yeah. go there and pretend to be a renter okay. and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, having having those team members on site, man, that's so critical. And you have the wrong team members on site that can just crush your property and you have the right ones that can make your property an amazing property. So it's, that's so critical, so important to do. And, and then having the right property management company, I mean, that that's critical too. And when we talk about underwriting and property management company, well, the property management company can really help you with your underwriting. They, especially if they're managing a lot of properties that are very similar to yours, a lot of the assumptions that you're making, they can go, well, look, I mean, we manage 2000 units right here and we're spending X in payroll and you're only putting this like you probably should up it like that. This is what we're going to have to spend. So, you know, a lot of that too, I would lean on some of the experts in the industry, Mm -hmm. like your property management companies for sure. So, um, so take us through the, the, um, maybe a couple key factors for your company's success, maybe two or three, just like key factors, key things that you guys do on a daily basis, daily habits, um, that help you with your success and have helped you, you know, move forward. Yeah. Key habits. Um, you know, I think we're just very uh, structured in our routines. Um, you know, like I said, we have KPIs, uh, weekly calls where we're making sure that we're hitting those, you know, priorities. Um, we do our quarterly reviews to make sure that we have, you know, we're all kind of in line with where we're aiming for. So when we look back in 90 days, we're happy that that's where we spend our time. Uh, and I feel like, you know, that sounds maybe simple, but you know, that's powerful when you're all kind of focused in one direction and, and, you know, no, um, know where to go uh, and where to, where to spend your time. Cause there's so many different aspects of this business where you can kind of get lost in the weeds and make, you know, an inch progress in every direction. Um, yeah. 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 That, no, that's super uh, critical. I can't remember what book um, it is. I think it's by Darren Hardy and uh, oh, the compound effect. And he, he talks just like, just about that, you know, like just these, you got to keep on this, that snowball effect, right? You just got to mm-hmm. keep on building upon stuff. And, and 
you'll get the results. And so I, I like that. The KPIs, the weekly calls, making sure you're structured, making sure you're doing those little things to push the business along. Like you said, you can get, you can go and do all these different things and get lost in the weeds and not get really anything done. But if you can focus on the main things, you're going to get results and you guys are showing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I can't really add more to what you just said. That, that's a good point. <laughs> um, so how about personally, do you have any habits that you do like w- wake up uh, or before bed or, you know, anything like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love exercising. Um, uh, you know, and usually earlier in the morning, the better I'm a runner. I feel like that's helped kind of maintain my calm during very stressful times. Um, and that's a habit I attribute a lot to, um, same with meditation, you know, I'm not the greatest at it, but even working in like 10 minutes a day, um, as you know, consistently over time, uh, yep. has been great. You know, if you do it like one, one day a week, which I'm certainly guilty of, it doesn't really add too much, but, uh, even fitting in five to 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. Um, how do you like to give back? Yeah. Um, you know, I wish, you know, I shouldn't say I wish, um, I'm, I'm waiting to get to the point where I can really give more and more time back right now. It's, it's just more, uh, monetary, but you know, we like helping local causes, um, especially, you know, out here in Austin, we have, uh, a big increase in, in the homeless population. So doing what we can to help on that front. Nice. Nice. Yeah, def- definitely. And that's kind of everywhere, right? There's a lot of, a lot of increase on that. I, I drove yesterday by a homeless camp in St. Paul and it's just, just pretty sad to see. I mean, you got these people out in tents and it's 20 degrees outside and yeah, um, you know, wind is, wind is blowing and it's like, man, these, these people are, you know, and we're getting into the thick of winter here. You guys obviously don't have the same in Austin, but man, it, even even so, it's still harsh conditions for them to be living outside and under a bridge or whatever through wherever they're living. So, yeah, that's awesome. It's devastating. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's your guys' goals moving forward? What where where do you see yourself going? Yeah, um, you know we we like investing in really uh, competitive you know um, markets. You know, we invest in Austin and LA. I think you know, we're going to continue to expand in those markets as long as we find things that kind of meet our criteria uh, and, you know, uh, start looking at a few others now that we've kind of have our, our footprint here and our, our system set up and, you know, find, find uh, other great markets where we feel like we can get, you know, similar returns. So Austin's a great market, right? They, the fundamentals are, are fabulous. People are moving to the area, mm-hmm. uh, but it's super competitive. It's super competitive. So how do you, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I, I hear over and over and it doesn't matter what market they're in right now. It's almost every market, right? My market's too competitive. I got to go out of state. I got to go somewhere else. I, you know, whatever market it is, they're, it's so competitive. They go somewhere else and they, they end up going somewhere else. Like they'll, they'll come to my backyard, you know, they'll come to Minneapolis. Well, Minneapolis is super competitive too. Like, what are you doing coming here? Like every market's, you know, super competitive. And if it's not like, there's probably something wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So what do you, but what are you doing? You know, Austin is a very, very, very competitive market. So what are you doing or how are you making these properties like work 
how are you getting them? Like, take me through a, a couple of action steps of people that are like, I don't know where to find a property. How can they, how can they actually have some success? Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of hustle, right? I mean, uh, Austin is definitely the wild west. Most stuff doesn't even make it, you know, uh, to, to being listed. It's all through, uh, relationships with brokers, right? Is how you're going to see most of the deals. So, you know, I prioritize creating those relationships early on. Um, and that certainly, you know, didn't get me exclusive looks at anything, but at least got me on the list, right? You're in the game. Um, from there, a lot of it is just follow up, you know, do what you say you're going to do when you get a deal sent to you, you know, I like to have it, you know, underwritten and, and my feedback back to them in a tour set up within, you know, 24 to at max 48 hours. Uh, if, you know, because I want to be known as that consistent guy, right. They can, and, and then being, you know, clear in your criteria as well. You don't want to come, you know, into your market and just say, I'm looking for a good deal. You know, what are you looking right. for? What yeah, class, what deal. age? Yeah. Uh, what, what area? Um, and, and, you know, just doing what you say with brokers goes a long way, but it's a long game, right? It doesn't happen overnight. You don't have one conversation with them. They leave impressed and the next day you get, you know, the deal yeah. of the century in your inbox. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it also, this goes back to the payroll thing, but it, it falls in line with the properties we kind of settled into. We, we've been looking at, you know, a hundred plus, uh, and on that front, you know, the capital chasing after it is just tremendous. I mean, uh, especially right now, right now is a very weird time where rents are falling and occupancy is softening and, uh, price, you know, cap rates are still compressing and going the other way. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, the good news train in Austin hasn't really stopped. Um, uh, with 2020, despite all the bad news, you know, there's still, you know, record relocations coming here and Tesla and all that. So, you know, all the stuff that makes the headlines, um, you know, uh, makes, makes sellers a little more bullish, but, um, you know, we kind of fell into that like 50 to a hundred unit range. Um, because we found one it's, it's, you know, at the price point, it's too expensive for most of the small guys. Right. Yeah. And, and then, you know, too small for most of the big guys. And so while there's not no competition, your competition is reduced. Um, and so we found we could compete more in that area. And, and so we've kind of focused in on that. Um, and like I said, we still look at, uh, you know, above that, but you're just in a whole nother ball game at that level. Um, and you just got to be able to manage those efficiently. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was just going to say. I think there's a big um, gap there of, you know, you don't, you just don't have professional management in a lot of these properties that are 50 to 75 units, especially you get a lot of mom pot owners and there's oh, yeah. an opportunity to buy those properties and actually truly put in professional management, truly put in, you know, just a whole different feel to that property and do really well. And then, you know, you know, as you go to exit, there's potentially you can even package some of these deals together, especially if they're close by and sell it to some of the bigger players in the market that um, are looking for a little bit of more of a yield. You might be able to sell it for a slight discount, but yet it's a big premium compared to what you paid for uh, by doing that. And if it's professionally run and managed, it's a totally different ball game. Yep. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was the answer to our, our payroll uh, question is how do we make this more efficient? Uh, I know this is like 
really making it seem simple, but it was go and buy something else in the area, right? Yeah. You know, find another good deal in the area, um, which, you know, easier said than done. But once you accomplish it and you're now you're sharing management, you know, now we have three communities, we're adding in a fourth. It's a lot easier when they're all within, you know, five to 10 minutes of each other to, to um, kind of spread that around. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's key. That's critical. If you can add some properties that are close by and, and share some of the management, that, that's so helpful. Um, getting into that magic, you know, hundred unit kind of number or bigger really helps you cut your payroll expenses down um, and get better pay better people too. I, you know, everybody wants a, people want a full-time job. If you're really good at what you do, you want a full-time job, not a part-time job. And if you're just managing a, you know, 50, 60 unit property, you're probably not going to be full-time. Well, and if you are, well, then you as the owner are paying way, way too much. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I will say on the, on the, on the ownership and asset management side, um, you're going to be way more involved on a, you know, on a 50 to hundred unit, it, uh, yeah. you know, unless you, like you said, you really want to overload your payroll budget because right. you know, you, a lot of it's going to fall on you to make sure it happens. So just be aware of that. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, absolutely. Cool. Um, I got a couple last questions and we'll wrap up here. So what's a favorite book that you can pass on to our listeners, real estate business? Um, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, I keep coming back to shoe dog, the, the Phil Knight story. Um, I just I've, put that on my, uh, audible. So I have oh my, the I audible cracked it open. Yeah. The audible is fantastic. Really? Uh, okay. I, yeah, I've probably listened to that book like five or six times now. And I think part of it is it just, you know, cause I transitioned to this full time about a year ago. And so, you know, it's not all, um, roses you know, when you transfer over, right. It's a lot of fear, a lot of doubt. Uh, and a lot of, you know, uh, bootstrapping. And so hearing his story about Nike and just the process they went through is just incredible. I mean, I, I, I recommend that book to anybody. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I, I'm, I'm excited. I, now I'm going to like fast forward and get to that book right now. <laughs> I, wanna, I had a couple of books above that, but so maybe I'll put it first. Um, last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Um, I think, you know, uh, three pillars of wealth creation. I would say uh, consistency. You know, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and, and just being consistent at it. Cause I think that's what leads to results. Um, accountability. Um, I guess that's another part of doing what you say you're going to do, but you know, people need to be able to trust you. It should, it should be boring, you know, how reliable you are. Um, and then uh, I don't know if this counts as a pillar of wealth creation, but family. I mean, I do everything because I want uh, a better future for my family. I want to, I want time freedom. So my family can, you know, uh, have a life that, you know, I didn't. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Good stuff. Well, Nick, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, spending time with us and, um, you know, just talking about your journey and, um, you know, some of the importance of, of the leadership that and the KPIs, um, you know, just that consistency, like you've talked about and, um, and accountability, all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate, uh, what you've brought to the show and, and all our listeners, how can our listeners reach out to you, learn more about what you got going on? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. Um, and you know, uh, you can find me at quantum capital, Um, and that's, 
you know, my email as well. It's just Nick and I C K at quantum capital Inc.com. Um, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, email is usually the best uh, way cause it's right in front of me, but we are on, you know, every social network as well. Cool. Again, Nick, really appreciate it. And you have a fantastic rest of the day. Yeah, you as well. Thanks, Todd, for having me on. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out, and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.